And I will have you turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And it's a, a fairly small passage this morning, but usually when we get small passages, there's a lot there. And, and we look at one of the big ones, Moses of the Old Testament, as we continue through what's commonly called the Hall of Faith. Uh, we get these statements, by faith, uh, by faith, by faith, and it just keeps coming up over and over in Hebrews 11. And all of this is, is under the, the, the guise or under the, the encouragement of not uh, falling away from Christ. It, it's to, to keep us from apostasy and, and keep us holding on to Christ. And so he gives us all of these examples of Old Testament people and how they walked by faith. And I, I should point this out. It's not, it's not by comparison. It's not that we look at some of these people and say, oh, I don't, I don't know that I'm like him, so maybe I, maybe I don't have faith. It, it's not that, but it's, it's to encourage us. Uh, as, as There are times where God may seem far away, uh, and, and he writes this as an encouragement. Enoch, who drew near to God, and, and how we can, by faith, uh, just cry out to God, God, draw me near draw near. Uh, and, and so we've, we've gone through some of these, and I'm just going to paraphrase real quickly. Uh, Abel, who brought uh, an acceptable sacrifice. God told him what to bring, and, and he brought the, uh, the right sacrifice and, and was accepted. And of course, we have Christ. Uh, Enoch, who I mentioned, uh, by faith, drew near to God, walked with God, everything he did in submission to God. Uh, Noah, by faith, built an ark. Uh, he was told, God said, I'm, I'm going to bring a flood, and either it's going to destroy you, or you'll be saved if you build this ark. By faith, uh, Noah, knowing God was coming, uh, changed his whole life and, and built this ark and, and, uh, and was saved. Uh, Abraham, by faith, set out, left his place of comfort and, and set out, really not knowing where he was going, and persevered. By faith, he just kept persevering. Uh, even though he didn't really know uh, where he was going and didn't really see the promises being answered uh, as quickly as he was hoping. In fact, uh, didn't see anything really being fulfilled during his lifetime. It, it was afterwards that, that he saw the, the big fulfillment of these things. And so our author continues on uh, with, by faith, what these different Old Testament saints did and and actually, he, he goes somewhat chronologically. We're through uh, Genesis and into Exodus now with, as I mentioned, one of the big names uh, of the Jewish people, Moses. Um, and so uh, let me read a little bit about Moses as our author writes it for us. Hebrews uh, chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. By faith, Moses when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin." He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. 
By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to, uh, attempted to do the same, were drowned. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for these great people of faith. And as we look at Moses, we ask that you will strengthen our faith by speaking your truth into our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, uh, Moses, uh, one of the big players uh, to the Jewish people and, and all the uh, Jewish people uh, from the time of Moses uh, through today, uh, they know Moses. And I've said this over and over again, and, and you might be sick of hearing it, but we have to remember our original audience, first century Jewish Christians, they know Moses. Um, and, and so as we go through uh, these verses, I, I'm going to give a little bit of the backstory. They know the backstory well, and many of us know uh, a lot of the details of Moses' life. But as we go through, I'll give you uh, some of the backstory uh, so that we can understand this passage a little better. Now, to begin with, uh, at the time that Moses uh, comes along, Israel has been in Egypt about 400 years. Uh, they, they came to Egypt. Uh, there were 70 of them when they came. There was a famine. So they, uh, they come. Joseph is, is second in, in charge. And, and so Israel comes in with his family. It was a, pretty much a family at the time. But now they're numerous. There's a whole bunch of, of uh, these uh, Hebrews in, in Egypt. And, of course, there's a new pharaoh. Uh, after 400 years, you would expect that. There's been a few different pharaohs. Uh, but, but basically, the, the memory of Joseph and what he has done has kind of faded away after hundreds of years. And, and this new pharaoh, or the ones that's in charge now, he's quite uh, fearful of the Israelites, of these Hebrew people, because they are numerous now. The promise that was made to Abraham about uh, his, his descendants being very numerous, uh, it, we've seen that play out here uh, to an extent. And, and in fact, it gets uh, bigger, but, but they're numerous. And so the Pharaoh is a little upset about this, and, and uh, he's made them slaves, and he really has oppressed uh, the Hebrew people. And, and it's this terrible slavery. And in fact, it gets to the point in Exodus chapter 1, uh, reading verse 22, uh, it said, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And that's what it had come to. We've got to kill all the male Hebrew children. There's too many of them. And if they were to gather together and fight against us, especially if there was another outside force fighting, they're going to outnumber us uh, because they had become numerous. Um, so that part of the promise uh, to Abraham is starting to be realized. However, the promised land part of it, uh, that looks kind of hopeless right now. They're, they're in slavery uh, in Egypt, and it's pretty bad. And so enter Moses, uh, as we see in verse 23. And actually, uh, by faith here, notice it's Moses' parents 
that uh, are acting in faith. When we look at verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. And this uh, is from Exodus chapter 2. And actually in Exodus uh, 2, it's his mother, and he's got a, uh, Moses has a quick-thinking sister that also helps uh, in what's going on. What, what happened is all the male children were supposed to be killed uh, from Exodus 1, and, and uh, so they, they, they have Moses, and, and here's this, this baby, and, and, and they put him in a basket. And they, they put him out on the Nile, and, and Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses, and, and uh, he's, he's beautiful, and, and she takes compassion on this child. And, and so the sister, uh, his quick-thinking sister, says, Oh, uh, do you want me to find someone who can nurse uh, Moses, and can nurse this, this baby, and, and raise him up for you? And, and so Moses has all the legal uh, the, the legal uh, status of being Pharaoh's daughter, but he's being raised by his very own mother, actually. And, and we have to remember that Pharaoh is more than a king in Egypt. He is considered deity uh, to most of, of the Egyptians. And, and any disobedience against Pharaoh uh, is going to incur uh, severe punishment, most likely death. Uh, Pharaoh is, he's, he's more than just a, a leader. He's, he's considered deity. But we also see in verse 23, um, he's, he's hidden by his parents uh, because they saw that the child was beautiful. And you say, well, doesn't every parent find their child beautiful? Yeah, I, I can say my wife had four of the most beautiful babies ever on the face of the planet, and I'm right. Unless I talk to another parent, they'll say, no, my child was the most beautiful, and you know what, we're all right. Um, every parent looks at their child and, and sees that they're beautiful. Um, but there was something a little different about Moses. Uh, in Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen uh, is giving this long speech before he gets uh, killed, and, and he talks about Moses for a while. And Stephen also says he was beautiful in God's sight. And that word beautiful in God's sight, and the word that gets beautiful here, uh, it, it, it's a term and it describes this attractiveness that is uncommonly uh, striking, if you will. And, and I want to kind of focus on the uncommonly part of it. There was something special about this child. God had, had uh, with Moses, you could look at him, and, 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 and he was beautiful in God's sight, as uh, Stephen said. Uh, there was something different about this child. Uh, Peter Lombard, who was a, a scholastic theologian from the 1100s, uh, he says that because of his exceptional beauty, uh, Moses' parents believed that God intended to do something great through him. They could see something was up with Moses. And so they were not afraid of the king's edict, as it says in verse uh, 23. And that's not to say they were flaunting Moses. You know, that they walked down the middle of the street holding Moses. Look at this beautiful baby. Nah, 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 you know, and, and what are you going to do about it, Pharaoh? Uh, it, it, that was not the case. Um, uh, they respected Pharaoh. They knew what could happen to them if, if they raised this child, that they will most likely be killed. 
Uh, they were a little uneasy. If you go back and read in Exodus, they're a little bit uneasy and have to act a little stealthy uh, to keep them alive. But here's the point. They were willing to risk their lives because they knew God was doing something with this child. And, and their reverence and fear of God or exceeds anything uh, that they might fear from Pharaoh, uh, anything that Pharaoh might do to them. So they know we'll fear God more than we'll fear Pharaoh. And we're going to keep this child alive because God is doing something with him. And so there's a couple of things going on here. Uh, first of all, we see Moses now being raised by his very own mother. He's got the legal status of Pharaoh's daughter, so basically Pharaoh's grandson, if you will. But being raised by his own mother, he's taught his own heritage. And he knows the promises that were made to uh, Abraham and the promise that was made to uh, Isaac and, and, and Jacob. And, and so he, he grows up knowing this thing. And, and this, this theme of, of not being afraid of, of the king or, or of Pharaoh um, it, it becomes the theme through uh, Moses' life as it's laid out for us uh, in Hebrews here. Because Moses grows up with a knowledge of who he is. He's growing up with the knowledge of who Pharaoh is. And most important, he's growing up with the knowledge of who God is because he's been taught this as, as he was a young child, and, and his parents were not afraid of, of Pharaoh, at least not so afraid that they wouldn't tell Moses uh, the truth. And so that's how Moses uh, grows up. And then we see Moses will leave Pharaoh's household. In fact, he ends up leaving Egypt altogether. And we see that in verses 25 through 27. And when we talked about Abraham last week, we talked about uh, how Abraham had left a place that was pretty comfortable. But uh, Moses can outdo Abraham here. All of these guys, they kind of, uh, they, they, they intersect a little bit and kind of grow on each other a little bit. Uh, Moses can outdo Abraham because Moses is not leaving a place that's merely comfortable. He's leaving a place that is awesome. He is Pharaoh's grandson. Pharaoh is considered deity. Moses has anything he wants. He's the grandson of the most powerful person on the face of the planet at the time, and really for life. And, and so uh, what happens then is... is uh, to give you a little bit more of, of the backstory here is, is uh, as, as uh, Moses grows up and, and now he's, he's a man and he's walking, he, he goes among his people. In fact, uh, let me read how Stephen puts it in Acts chapter 7. Stephen uh, talks uh, like this. He said, when, when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And, and so what we see Moses doing there is he's throwing in with the, the Israelites, with the Hebrews. He has the legal status of an Egyptian, 
But he, in that moment, said, you know what? I'm going to defend Israel. I'm going to defend my Hebrew brothers. I am more one of them than I am Egyptian. And, and as Stephen puts it, something happened there. He thought that the Hebrew people would rally around him and say, yes, all right, here we have this guy. But uh, when you go back and look in Exodus, that's not what happens. They said, what, you're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? They, they turn on him a little bit. He's a little bit too Egyptian for the Hebrew people, and, and now he's too Hebrew for the Egyptian people, and he's kind of stuck in the, in the middle here. Uh, and I, I like what the expositor's Greek Testament uh, says. Uh, it writes this, it was because uh, they were God's people. Uh, why Moses did this? Because they were God's people that Moses threw in his lot with them. It was this which illustrated his faith. He believed that God would fulfill his promise to his people. Little likelihood, as at present, there seemed to be of any great future for his race. Uh, at the time, there didn't seem to be a, a lot of uh, encouragement or, or a lot of prospects for the Hebrew people, but Moses said, I'm throwing in with them. I'm, I'm going with them, although the Hebrew people were like, I don't know. You're, you're Pharaoh's grandson, you know. Uh, and, and, but he considered the reproach of Christ, as it says in verse 26, the reproach of Christ uh, better uh, than anything else. And, and remember, again, writing to first century uh, Jewish Christians who are tempted to leave Christ. They're tempted to go back uh, into some form of Judaism. And, and here he's saying, no, but, but Moses... He went with Christ, and, and the, the meaning of, of this, uh, the reproach of Christ or the reproach of the Messiah, uh, it, it, it extends, uh, and what he's basically saying, the reproach of, of being one of God's people. He was willing to suffer along with God's people. The reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. And when you think about that for Moses, these aren't mere words. You know, it's, it, this isn't just an idea. You know, it, it makes for a great love song. Yeah. Oh, if I had all the treasures of the world or could choose you, I would choose you. And, you know, it sounds great in a love song. It sounds great in theory. Moses is living it. He's got all these great treasures of Egypt or the reproach of being one of God's people. And he says, you know what? I'm going to go with God's people. By faith, he really gave up a lot of wealth and a lot of treasure to throw his lot in with God's people. And so he left Egypt. Uh, and it, notice in verse 27, he left Egypt by faith. Now, some will say that this is referring to, when he's leaving Egypt here, this is referring to when he led Israel out of Egypt and, and uh, into the wilderness towards the promised land. But I want us to consider something else, because it fits in better chronologically, that by faith he left Egypt after he had killed the Egyptian and went by himself. In fact, Stephen spends a lot of time uh, talking about this time when, when Moses left Egypt. But then we have to consider, well, it says here uh, that he's not afraid of the anger of the king. 
But when you read in Exodus 2, when he left, it says that he was afraid of this thing being known, that he had killed the Egyptian, and, and indeed uh, Pharaoh did uh, want to kill uh, Moses because he had turned on the Egyptian people. Um, so, so how do you reconcile, well, was he afraid or was he not afraid? It's, it's kind of like with the parents. Uh, okay, they have reverence and they understand what could happen to him. I like how uh, Philip Hughes answers this question of, of was he afraid, was he not afraid? Uh, Hughes writes this, the answer to this question is not that it was a personal fear of Pharaoh, but the awareness of his destiny as the deliverer of the covenant people that caused him to take flight. Had he remained at that juncture, this destiny would have been thwarted, humanly speaking, by his execution. And so impelled by his faith in the divine purpose for his life, Moses took refuge in Midian. And if you remember, Moses, he's really got no allies in Egypt anymore. The, the Hebrew people don't really like him. He's... he's He's an Egyptian, and, and he leaves. But he knows he's got to preserve his life. God is doing something. And Hughes goes on to point out that Christ himself, and I, let me quote, who on more than one occasion disengaged himself from those who were about to put him to death because his hour had not yet come. And you find that phrase, especially in the Gospel of John uh, and, and other Gospels too, as Jesus would... Uh, perform miracles and, and do things. And he would tell people, don't, don't say what's happened here. Don't, don't say anything yet, because his time had not yet come. And, and there were times he just had to disengage and walk away because people were looking to kill him. And he knew it wasn't the time yet. And that's, that's the faith that Moses has. Okay, they're going to kill me, but God's up to something. This isn't my time yet. And so he, he flees. He has renounced himself now, uh, renounced his life fully as an Egyptian by leaving Egypt. Now any chance at reconciliation he might have had is long gone. He left Egypt. He's declared himself totally Hebrew. Um, and and uh, the expositor's Greek testament again makes this comment. This he was strengthened to do because he saw an invisible monarch greater than Pharaoh. And, and you see that in verse uh, 27, uh, where Moses sees this uh, invisible God greater than Pharaoh. And remember our definition of faith that the author gave us back in verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And Moses is convinced that this God that he can't see is greater than this Pharaoh that he just left behind. And uh, he took strength in that for 40 years, which really had to seem almost interminable, intolerable to be away uh, for 40 years, knowing he's supposed to doing something, but he endured. He knew that God's time would come, that, that his hour would come. And so he endured, uh, as it says in verse 27. And just kind of as a side note, think of the courage it would take for Moses to come back. You know, when God told him to come back, Moses wasn't real excited about it. He kind of hemmed and hawed. And he said, no one's going to listen to me. And there was reason for that. They had pretty much rejected him. And, of course, the Egyptian people didn't like him. And so he actually came up with some pretty good reasons why he didn't want to go back. Uh, we condemn him a lot that he just didn't up and go. But, 
But there was a reason. Yeah, they, they didn't like me. Nobody liked me. I have no allies back there. But God said, go. And it took some courage for him to go back to, to Egypt. And, and again, uh, there's, there's this idea of not fearing the most powerful man uh, on the planet at the time, but rather having this, this reverent fear of the most powerful person in the universe, the one who had created it all, God himself. And also, before we move on, I, wa I want to note that he's not enticed by the fleeting pleasures of the world, as it says in verse 25. And for Moses now to, to revere Pharaoh, to, to stay in with Pharaoh, and, and consider him deity like Egypt did, over God, over being obedient to God, well, that, that's certainly a sin, and, and he didn't want those fleeting pleasures. And, and when it says the treasures of Egypt in verse 26, it's, it's intended to show this life uh, that Moses could have lived if he'd have just stayed obedient to Pharaoh rather than God. And when you think of that term fleeting pleasures, for Moses, that fleeting pleasure, that would have meant his whole life. He was set for life. When that pharaoh died, this went in families. Maybe his uncle takes over, or his dad, or we don't know. But, but he's in. He's in with the royal family for the rest of his life. If he just toes the Egyptian line, he's good. But yet, compared to eternity, that's just fleeting pleasure. It means nothing. It's temporary. As Solomon would write in Ecclesiastes, a vapor, a mist. The world can offer unlimited pleasure, but it can't deliver an unlimited pleasure. And Mo Moses knew that. And Moses was looking ahead for the true reward in verse 26. He said, I could live a lifetime of wonderful things, but that's fleeting. I want the true, the true reward, which is God. And so he stayed with God's people. I'll take the reproach of being one of God's people over whatever the world has to offer me. And so uh, he goes back into Egypt then. I want to give you this part of the backstory as we move on. He goes back into Egypt and he has to face Pharaoh again. And, and in his... Uh, protesting about going back. You know, he said, well, nobody's going to listen to me. They didn't like me before. They're not going to listen to me again. And God said, don't worry. I got some things planned. People are going to listen to you. And, and uh, God showed some miraculous signs, uh, the, the plagues uh, when Moses comes back into Egypt. And God just does these amazing things. And, and finally, they get to the last plague because uh, uh, even Pharaoh at times would say, you know what? You're right. You take your people and you go worship God, your, your God. And, and, but then he would change his mind and no, I guess not. You stay here. And, and so this kept going back and forth. And, and finally, there's this last plague. And, and we see in verse uh, 28, it's written about by faith, uh, Moses, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And, and what happened is, uh, is, is, uh, uh, Pharaoh, uh, refusing to let Moses and the people go, 
uh, was told by Moses, he said, Here's, all the firstborn are going to be killed. Your firstborn sons and, and, and firstborn of your cattle, everyone is going to be killed. Uh, and, and this is uh, in Exodus 12, the, at least the Passover is. And, and, and so Moses then tells his uh, Hebrew brothers and sisters, he says, uh, but here's what we will do. We'll sacrifice a lamb each household and, and put blood on, on the doorpost. And he, he declares it pretty confidently. All the firstborn are going to die unless there's blood on the doorpost. And now remember, the sacrificial system hasn't really been set up yet. The people don't really understand what that would even mean. There had been sacrifices in the past, but the, the sacrificial system and all the, the kind of symbolism and, and everything there really hasn't been set up yet. Uh, John Kelvin writes this, it might have seemed strange that Moses should set a few drops of blood as a remedy in opposition to God's vengeance. But being satisfied with God's word alone that the people would be exempt from the scourge that was coming on the Egyptians, he did not hesitate. He said, do it. Okay, blood on the door. If that's what it takes, we'll, we'll do it by faith. They did it, not even really knowing what was going on. It probably seemed a little odd to them at the time. But it was an act of faith, not just a, a piece of, of religious ceremonialism. They said, well, the destroyer is coming. By faith, we'll, we'll listen to, to Moses. And he was pretty confident in what he was saying. And sure enough, he was right. Because the destroyer comes and kills all the firstborn of the Egyptians and everyone who had the blood on the, on the door, uh, they were spared. And so Pharaoh uh, says, get out. We don't want you anymore. And, and all the Egyptians are like, yes, and take our gold and silver with you when you go. I mean, this, it was an incredible turn of events. And so uh, they, they leave and, and they're going and in the wilderness. And, and God kind of took them on a, on a crazy route. And if you were a, especially a military strategist and were in a helicopter watching all of this, you would have looked down and said, what is God doing? He's got these people going in a crazy direction. This makes no sense at all. And, and uh, they wandered a little bit and, and then uh, eventually were in a spot where there was wilderness on both sides of them and then the Red Sea. So they're hemmed in. And Pharaoh saw what was going on. He said, wait a minute. Look what these clowns just did. They got themselves stuck. And in fact, uh, God told Moses this was going to happen. In, Mo in uh, Exodus chapter 14, God says to Moses, For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And then God continues and he said, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And so there's uh, Israel and, and just as God said, they're hemmed in. They've got wilderness on both sides and, and the sea and here comes Pharaoh with his big Egyptian army right at them and they're not thrilled with this plan at this point, by the way. They're saying, Moses, what's going on? And Moses said, just wait. God's going to do something here. Just wait and see what happens here. And then God tells Moses, raise up your staff over the water. And there's these walls of water then on the right and the left, as it says in Exodus. And then Moses says, all right, now walk through. And, what? 
you realize there's water on both sides, walls of water on both sides, but by faith, they walk through that Red Sea and they get to the other side and Pharaoh brings in his army and the sea comes back. Pharaoh and all his army are destroyed. And I, I wonder sometimes when I think of that story and think of what happened at that time, I wonder if Moses turned around and looked, saw Pharaoh being destroyed and thought to himself, God made that look easy. Look at that. He destroyed him. No problem. It wasn't quick. It took uh, several years. But when God acted, it was decisive, and it had to look pretty easy. He just swallowed him up in the Red Sea. And somewhat like Noah, we see this, this illustration of, of that uh, for what, uh, it, for the believer is, is a, a way of life, a way of salvation. For the unbeliever, it was a way of death. Uh, but by faith, they, they walked through. And, and, and that brings us back to this idea of, uh, that, that we started with in the beginning of this chapter of our faith grounded in God. Because that was the focus of Moses' faith and Israel's faith. Faith where Moses said, I'll give up everything. I'm going to be one of God's people. And there's no worldly authority that can match the power and the magnificence of God. No worldly authority can match the sovereignty of God. And Moses saw that play out right in front of his eyes. And so when we look at this, what we see is that there is no need to fear worldly authority. We respect governmental officials, and, and we respect positions that people have been given. That, that's scriptural as well. But as far as fear, we need not fear them. Rather, by faith, we align firmly with God. And especially uh, in the United States, we, we have uh, an election year and there is so much fear about elections. What happens if, if this guy gets in charge and, and we come up with all kinds of theories and, and conspiracies and all oh, fear-mongering, oh, this is horrible. And you know what? God's more sovereign than anybody who will ever be in charge on the face of the earth. We need not fear. We respect and we do the right thing, but we don't fear. And also, we don't look to any worldly leader or authority or anything in the world for promises of salvation. They can't deliver on that. They can't give us the true reward. We are firmly God's people and will give up everything the world has to offer for that reward, that reward of being with God. And we get there only by the blood of the Lamb that the Passover in verse 28 was so clearly pointing ahead to. The blood of the Lamb, as strange as that may seem to everybody else in the world, to those who are God's people, they know 
that's where I need to be. I need to be under the bloods, or under the, the, the blood of the Lamb to be saved. You know, in 2 Corinthians 2, uh, Paul writes that Christ, uh, to one is, is a fragrance of death to death, but to another a fragrance of life to life. Kind of like that Red Sea. Some are going to die because they have their faith in the wrong place. Some will live. Luke 2, uh, the angel tells Mary, Christ is set for, the, for the, uh, the, the rising of many and the fall of many. 1 Peter 2, uh, and he's quoting from Isaiah, a little bit from the psalm, Christ is a cornerstone to some and a rock of stumbling to the others. We hang in with Christ by faith, not fearing what the world may have uh, us fear, not grabbing the promises of the world that they can't deliver on anyhow, but throwing our lot in fully with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these words of encouragement knowing that in these times of fear, and there is a lot of fear in this world, fear of people and fear of, of armies and fear of everything, that you are sovereign over all. And that when you act, you can act so decisively and make it look so easy. And that's because you've created it all. And we're all in the palm of your hand. Help us have that faith that Moses had where we are willing to go in 100% with you, not grabbing any of the promises of the world, but looking to you as our salvation and as our reward. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And then if you will stand... You can spread out a little bit if you want. And are we actually going to get the piano this time? Yeah. Okay, I like it. benediction this morning from the book of 1st Timothy to the king of ages immortal invisible the only God be honor and glory forever and ever in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost amen Oh, no. Um, oh, yeah, I should I didn't know you didn't have the, the password. Yeah, so I put it, and I thought, well, there's no graceful 
Yeah. 